Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. All right, starter sit for week five. Quarterback. Oh, wait, this is baseball. It's baseball, don't, everybody. Don't rub it in. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm so happy to be talking. Actually, I am very happy to be talking about baseball right now. I missed everybody. I missed all the listeners. Scott and Chris. Chris is actually on a show. He cares about us. Of course I care. Once the season ends, <laughs> comes crawling back. Yeah, once all the heavy lifting is done. Oh, yeah. Here comes now Chris Towers. You know. Now it's just the fun part. Talk about whatever. It is the fun part. Yeah, what Go are we going to talk about today? We're going to do a little season recap. Just some, just some overall thoughts. Read some emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. You know, Scott and I were certainly on the... Uh, the Let's draft starting pitchers early side. Chris was, I think, that way in points leagues, not so much in Roto. So let's see, you know, what ended up being a good strategy. And uh, talk about some news and notes. Give a little postseason chatter, maybe a little chatter up postseason. Talk about some awards. I think uh, Chris is going to be very adamant about who should win the American League Rookie of the Year Award. Very adamant. Um, I don't know. No? All right. You know I love yeah. the Yankees. <laughs> so I, I may throw my... my... <laughs> My, he couldn't possibly be as adamant as Yankees fans are about who they think. I, I may the throw my I may throw my weight behind the worst defensive player in baseball. Who knows? He's pretty bad. Except Gary Sanchez isn't a rookie anymore. But let's uh, start with an email. Email of the day from Nathan. You should do a special podcast just to give a shout out to the guy who said he was going to start David Dahl in the final week of the season. Unreal, like a thirty second podcast. Scott, I hope he didn't listen to us. I hope he started David Dahl, who wasn't even the number one hitter in fantasy in Week 27, but he hit 306, 303 with six home runs. And yeah, a, a he, nice had, he homered on four straight in four straight games, I think. And that's good. I mean, this is a good thing. It, it, you know, it's not a good thing if you had him on the bench your final week. You're probably not feeling great about that unless you happen to win anyway. Uh, but I'm happy with the way David Dahl finished the season because I think a it assures he's going to have the inside track on a starting job next year, which is the biggest thing toward determining whether he's valuable in fantasy or not. And B, uh, there were indications basically all year long that he was the same hitter he was in 2016 when everybody got so excited about him. The bat of ball profile was virtually identical. He actually had a higher ISO even before that late home run binge. It's just in 2016, he had this crazy high Babbitt that he obviously wasn't going to be able to repeat. That was the only difference. Um, so we were just reminded of how good he is, and the Rockies hopefully were too. I I just can't trust the Rockies to be smart, given, like, I hope so. I hope they give Ryan McMahon a shot next year too. But they're so invested in these mediocre players that they have a bunch of money in that I I I would guess David Dahl will get a chance to be an everyday player next year. I would hope so. You know, he played he started the wild card game or the game one sixty three against guess. Lester. Um and Cargo's Cargo's a free agent. And that's important because he only hit two thirty four against lefties. Yeah. So uh Gerardo Parra is also a free agent. So okay. those are good signs. Yeah. All right. David Dahl. So all right, let's let's have a draft right now. 
we'll just draft until we get up to David Dahl. What round do you think? <laughs> 12 team league. Is he a top 100 pick? No. No, no, he can't be. Top Especially because he hasn't. He hasn't, he didn't run that much this year, and that would be a big part of his appeal. Now, top one fifty, I think you have. I mean, at that I, point, yeah. you start talking about guys yeah. with upside. I think that, not. yeah, you know, mid round sleeper is what I'd call him. Okay. So that sounds about right. I'd call him David, but you can call him whatever the hell you want, Scott. Who was the number one hitter in fantasy week twenty seven? It was Christian Yelich, who probably <laughs> locked up the MVP. Four twenty nine with four home runs, eleven walks, fifteen strikeouts, and a double and a triple. And, uh, Scott, wh- how, when was the last time you updated your first two rounds? Uh, well, it was early in September. Christian Yelich messed it up a little. Christian Yelich and Andrew Benintendi both messed it up a little by doing opposite things. Christian, you look, Andrew Benintendi, I think, homer twice in the entire second half. Christian really? Yelich, meanwhile, you, you look at what he did just wow. in August and September, right? Uh-huh. entered the season with a career high of 21 home runs. That's how many he hit in August and September of this year. Now, <laughs> he had far and away the highest home run to fly ball rate in baseball. Like, it was an outlier. So I don't know that we can reasonably expect him to hit 36 home runs again. But if he's in the 25 to 30 range with all the other ways he's good, I think second-round pick. Second-round pick. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll be the one to say it. He- Christian Yelich is going to be an easy fade for me, especially if people are going to be taking him. Like, if I'm going to have to invest in the second round on a guy who doubled his home run total from 2018 to 2017 in 11 fewer or nine fewer games, had a 373 BABIP. Now, he is a high BABIP guy, but previous two seasons were 336, 356. It, it's like he's, not gonna, he's not going to be this good again. This is first round good, right? Like uh, he's the number round. four hitter in fantasy this year, Christian yeah. Yelich. So yeah, but I, the the home ballpark has a lot to do with it. So you can buy into the improvement, but not not to this degree. You're saying, right? Like he's always been a high home run to fly ball ratio guy. He nearly doubled his career high or his career mark in 2018. It doesn't. Miller Park is now, a good park. Now, can you look at his home run to fly ball rate at Marlins Park? Is that possible? Probably. Yeah. Because that would be interesting to me. If just looking at the home run totals, home and away, when he was playing in Marlins Park, obviously one of the most pitcher-friendly parks, much more productive on the road throughout his time there. Much more. And then this year, Miller Park, hitter-friendly park, 22 home runs there versus 14 on the road. And that's all true. But he had a 42% home run to fly ball ratio at home. That is like... But he could hit... I mean, would you buy 30 home runs? Would you buy 28? I think it's possible. 20, sure. 28, he, 28, and he's, well, I, what's a good comparison? Like Freddie Freeman with speed, right? Like, do, are, we, do we, are we to a point with Freddie Freeman where we expect 30 home runs? Probably not. I mean, he didn't hit 30 this year. Right, so, yeah, right. I know what you're saying. And yeah, right, Yelts will give you 20 steals. He had 22 this year. Uh, he'll be in a good lineup. He's a safe guy. I just don't, yeah, second round. Because the last time we spoke at length about Christian Yelich, it was like, well, he, maybe he's in the third round, early fourth, something like that. But now top 24 player. Like, where did he go last year? His ADP I think was he went in like the fourth round. Fourth round. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably uh, deserves to move up a round from that. Yeah. Which is like 30th. I, I, I could understand taking, here's who I have him ahead of, who I could understand maybe you'd rather take him than Yelich. 
Judge, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. Um, Ooh, those are tough see. calls. I mean, yeah, I, feel no, like... I, I could understand those. Yeah. I think they're in the same category. But then, like, there, there's no argument to be made for taking Benintendi ahead of Yelich next year. He's like a bad Benintendi. He's like a bad Yelich. Uh, I don't know if I'd use the word bad, but he's a, a worse version of Yelich. Yeah. Um, I agree. And then who? I'm trying to think of who else I, I just, have in that range. Like Benintendi. Springer. Is pretty much what Yelich was before this season. Yes. They were. So we how, how much do Yelich we think? more, but they were similar. No, no, no. But I'm saying like what Benintendi did this year and what he did as a rookie, like the skill set that he showed is basically what we were expecting Yelich to do before this season. I think it's how just much Miller has, Park. Yeah. Before Miller Park. He just yeah, can't hit. Was... I think Benintendi, until he starts hitting lefties, is going to be held back from being a truly elite sure. player. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, and Yelich can hit him. I mean, he's not going to crush him, but... I think he did crush him Did he year, crush though. him this year? But uh, my, I guess my thought is it's not... It's definitely not, I think, Benintendi's better than Yelich. I think there's a chance Benintendi's a better value than Yelich. Well, that could be. I mean, I, I, Benintendi's... Well, he stole 21 bases. That's nice, but he might be a points league specialist uh, with the plate discipline. But you know what? Let's move on. Let's talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about a little bit of a season. Re- oh, no, emailed it at number two. Sorry, I forgot about this one. The Vegan Pagan. He's from Mapleton, New York, Miracle, Texas, and Melbourne, Australia. And he says, hey, Kevin, <laughs> Nora, Matt, and Lori. These are all references to the leftovers. <laughs> they are, but I th- wasn't okay. it Perth, Australia, Scott? Did you watch The Leftovers? Oh, you know I love that show. Really? I didn't know that. Love that show, Scott White. One of the most unique shows I've ever seen. I've never seen a show like The Leftovers. So yeah. good. Watch it. It was good. Watch it. it was, you know, that was one of the uh, Lost guys primarily behind that. Yeah. I know you haven't oh, yeah, seen right, Lost, right. but no. some of the some similar weirdness in those two shows and uh, character development. But anyway. Yes. Uh, Here's the email. What? Uh, would you like me to read the email? Or would you Scott, I can read it. Scott, you would... uh, so the Vegan Pagan says, I'm the commissioner of a longtime 30-year NL Roto Keeper League with a 15-page living constitution that does living. not yeah, does not explicitly address stats from possible games 163. We have four <laughs> teams, including mine, that were closely bunched together from second to fifth. Only the top four finish in the money. Fifth gets the number one farm pick. As our constitution says that final standings are based off of the regular season stats, should games 163 on Monday count? I am a strict constructionalist. Uh, I believe in the letter of the law. And in this case, the letter of the law does not allow for game 163 to be counted. So no. This is not the regular season? The constitution says what it says. But this says well, the regular season. It, doesn't, it sounds like it doesn't address it at all. Exactly. Though. It looks if like any powers not granted <laughs> to the federal government are some uh, something with the states. I don't know. That's, well, that's, is that's is the there a clause in the Constitution that says that, though? I, yeah, this is stuff. We got a lot of questions. I well, got a lot of questions on Twitter. Do games 163 count? And I got a little secret for the listeners. When I don't know or I'm too scared to answer, just I just answer. ignore. Yeah, just, yeah, huh. So yeah. I didn't say anything. I had no idea if they I, have, I did not answer a single question about that. I'm what, not going to touch that What one. really complicates this is that one, those one, the stats in game 163, those are regular season stats. They count onto the player's regular season stat total. So yes. if your league is set up to include all regular season stats, it, that would you would think that would be among them. 
Uh, also, commissioner leagues defaulted to including uh, the game 163 stats unless you happen to adjust your advanced schedule editor at some point of the season and click save with showing the end date for that final week being September 30th. If that happened at any point in the season, then you know, you know it what? wasn't set up to count those October 1st stats. You know what so the real answer is? What, sh- what should happen? I think if it's not explicitly addressed, you shouldn't count it just because nobody's expecting it to. Now, Roto Leagues, I think, I think maybe there's a stronger case to count it by default. But in head-to-head leagues, I don't think you can. You know what the real answer is? This may what? be the wrong audience to say this with, but the fantasy baseball season should end way before game 163. Oh, of course. I said that discussion. to Scott. That was I, so when, we, just, when we previewed the final week of the yeah. season. My first question was why? Yeah. Why I mean, are we doing this? Why are we playing the, this The week? fantasy season should not stretch but, into a month I, that begins with a I, nine. I, I agree I, I with think Scott the David Dahl owner would disagree. I agree with Scott. Uh, originally, I was going to say, no, they're regular season games. They should count. But I think it's a little unfair. So... Like, just nobody, like, everybody assumed the season was over. Their season was over on uh, uh, end of day, September 30th. Everybody thought it was over. I know because I was seeing the emails in all of my leagues, and it had to be addressed. So I think, first of all, everybody who has a constitution like this, they need to update their constitution so there's no uncertainty going forward. Uh, But if it caught you by surprise, I would say you probably shouldn't count it. What Too is happening, now. Chris Towers? I'm taking a picture of your George Costanza wallet. Oh, it's huge, yeah. I got a big <laughs> wallet. I got a big wallet. Do you, like, carry it in a knapsack? There's no way you put that in your back pocket. I don't keep Do it in my back, back pocket logs. No, because I always take it out of my pocket when I sit. Jesus. It's a pretty big... It's You could go ahead. You, I wouldn't tweet that, actually. This is, it's a big wallet. I put a highlighter You're next not the to first person uh, to call it a George Costanza wallet, Jesus. by the way. Do uh, you? I'm just worried about. I'm sincerely worried about your hip. No, I'm good because I, I take it out. You're gonna, like, it you're out. gonna be like a golden retriever. You're gonna get hip dysplasia. <laughs> uh, let's let's recap the season. So, how was fantasy baseball for you guys in 2018, Chris? It long. Yeah. Uh, th- like, th- this is my biggest problem with keeping up with fantasy baseball. Is I just I have so much going on, as you may have noticed uh, as listeners of the podcast, that I hit like mid-August and I just can't afford to think about fantasy baseball as much as I need to and that's when I fall off and it's especially evident in roto leagues where I just I can't keep up with the schedule but you know you look at it we're gonna we, we can have the like zero starting pitcher versus starting pitcher heavy discussion but it's always it's gonna go the same way it always does which is depending on which starting pitchers you ended up with you did well or you did poorly and it's not really the strategy. It's 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 who you got. But how do you guys feel about your heavy starting pitcher strategy? I was fine with it. I'd do it again. Because you can be wrong and and still take advantage of the depth at hitting. Just it just felt like. Uh, but was the depth at hitting there this year? I think it was okay. Because offense there, was down. Yeah, it was. There's there's. The thing about hitting is the first two rounds are mostly populated with true standout difference maker hitters. But then after that, like how much difference is there honestly between Anthony Rendon and Eugenio Suarez? Well, this year, none. But that's 
Right. I mean, that's a tough example because Suarez was one of the best sleepers in baseball this year, as it turned out. But I get what you're saying, and I agree with you. And even though Scott and I were saying pitcher heavy, we always took that approach. Um, for me, I usually wasn't – I was not taking pitchers in the first two rounds. I was more three – Three, four, six, three, five, six, something like that. Three pitchers, my yeah. first six or seven pitches, but hardly ever in the first two rounds. Um, I would, I would do that again. I think we would just sort of have to figure out where the aces end, and I would like to get two of them. And it might not work out, but that's yeah. Something I, I mean, would stick I, with. I probably had too optimistic of an endpoint for what is an ace, and. I was settling for the last of that group too often. Bottom line is I wound up with too much Robbie Ray and Chris Archer. Yeah. Uh, that was probably my biggest problem. And, you know, the leagues where I got, like, Jacob DeGrom instead. Right. <laughs> Which kind that's of was Chris was Like, it depends on what pitchers you get, right? Yeah, yeah the, te- the 11 through 20 group at starting pitcher was not great uh, in terms of ADP. You look, Zach Granke was good. You Darvish, Robbie Ray, Madison Bumgarner, Carlos Martinez, Chris Archer, Dallas Keuchel, Aaron Nola, Jose Quintana, James Paxton. Two of those were good. Two of those Nola pitchers lived up your two expectations or surpassed them. Every yeah. single other one was kind of a was varying degrees of disastrous. Right. And if you look at the top pitchers this year, Scherzer, Verlander, Kluber, Degrom are your top four pitchers, uh, and. Not that we had them ranked one for four, but you're right, pretty chalky. Then Nola, Snell, Garrett Cole, (laughs) Miles Michaelis, (laughs) Patrick Corbin, uh, Luis Severino, Zach Granke, Kyle Freeland, Carlos Grasso. That's a mix. This year, I don't feel like was as chalky as previous years. Um, Well, I mean, Kershaw and Sale weren't exactly bad picks. You know, Sale was a good pick. No, Kershaw. I mean, Kershaw was like. Kershaw eighth, may have been a bad pick. Eighth actually. in the majors in ERA and great whip and a decent number of strikeouts. Yeah, Ker- just, Kershaw definitely got things back on track. Yeah, he just the only end. threw 150. Except innings. his last two starts were terrible, and they're not starting him in game one. Like, that's amazing. They're not. They won't have him for game four. Uh, no, they'll have him for game five, but they won't have him for game four if that's an elimination game. And that tells you something. They're going with a pitcher who has a, an ERA under two this year, and Hyunjin Ryu. Thank goodness. I say as a Braves fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, but Ryu's had a really nice year. And uh, I, I, the finish for Kershaw, the back injuries, big concerns. Is he in your top 24, Scott? Oh, yeah. He's overall? fifth. No, 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 overall, no. Overall, overall. Oh, overall. Yes, he is. He's okay. toward the back of it. Uh, I have him going late in the second round. So do you want to talk about strategies or anything that you noticed this year? How, how down was offense? Well, I'm, I'm looking up the exact final numbers now, and I'm going to look up the last. I'm going to compare the last ten seasons uh, and see where this season ended. So strikeouts, obviously, up always up in a massive way, twenty one point six percent to twenty two point three percent. Walks not up. Slugging percentage actually, or isolated slugging percentage down. So there were fewer home runs. I think it was almost five hundred, four hundred and fifty fewer home runs than last season across the league. That jibes with the idea that the the ball changed, which there was some indication early on. And, you know, Chase Field plays a little part in that, but you're still looking at a fairly... It's mostly, I think, what we kind of worried about is that the ball changed. Now, home runs were up over 2016, so it, it basically even with 2016. So it's not a total drop-off, but, you know, that is... 
it's a different environment than what we were used to. It was down about 10%. That's not insignificant. No, um, that is pretty significant. And, and that does give me a little pause about saying I'd take three pitchers with my first six picks. And the other I don't really thing think is that's so extreme, though. Stolen bases continue, uh, I think, the lowest total in a non-strike season ever, 2,474. I think Whit there Merrifield... ended up there ended up being three forty steel guys because Whit Merrifield yeah. and Malik Smith went nuts at the end. Merrifield actually ended up leading the majors, surpassing but with only Trey like forty three. Right, right, but yeah, the fact that the leader didn't even have fifty uh, is pretty revealing in its own right. And and the the players everybody was targeting to carry them in steals, uh, basically none of them came through. Right, Hamilton, D. Gordon. Yeah, D. Gordon was there, 10th wasn't with 30th. Uh, Billy Hamilton was 6th with Oh, yeah, Byron four. Buxton? Yeah, Byron Buxton definitely yeah, I mean, did. Not Whit someone... Merrifield sure did. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah that's uh, – there. there isn't really – I'm not sure there is a hitter who you can trust to carry you in no. steals oh, going Oh, Trey into Turner, next year. Scott. Is that who you were thinking of, Trey Turner? Yeah, he Trey Turner. He had a pretty good steal. How many did he steal? Yeah, he, he was second in the majors, led the NL with yeah. over 40. But – that's not you carrying know, you. People were hoping for like 70 yeah, from Trey I mean, Turner. It's, it's, so I want to sit here and say uh, I will never prioritize a guy like – okay, okay. Let's back it up. My big, big dilemma preseason, draft time, I knew I had the third pick in a Roto League, and I could not decide between Nolan Arenado and Trey Turner. And I went with Arenado, and I can't say I made the wrong choice – but I finished like 10th out of 13th in steals. And I had Billy Hamilton too. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I don't oh, know. I, 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 sorry, I didn't have Trey Turner, but I did have Billy Hamilton. Um, I, I don't see how you can look back at the season and say you should have taken Turner over Arenado because Arenado was a lot better. But at the same time, like those 43 steals, really, really valuable. And maybe you could have made up for what Arenado gave you. So I, I still wouldn't do it because I think unless, unless it's a guy like Trout who's going to steal in bets where you know the hitting is going to be there, I think you have to take the guy that you know is going to hit for average, hit for power, drive and runs, and then try to make up steals otherwise. But I really sucked at steals in my two Roto Leagues this year. Steals killed me, took me out of contention. Mm -hmm. I was not high in steals either, and my primary steals target was Whit Merrifield. So I got the major league leader in steals and still had trouble competing in the category. So how did you do? Because I I did... So I, I, I didn't I did, have a great year. I, it was in Rota. I didn't win a Rota league this year. I finished like third or fourth in pretty much all of them, I think. So it's not like it was an embarrassment, but, um, but yeah, I didn't win any. That's yeah, not good. I, I, I finished eighth and one out of 12. And then the 13 team, like, I don't even know where I finished. We collapsed, but I was in first place at one point and I had Altuve say, I traded for Altuve. I had sale. I had Arenado. I could have won that league, but all three of those guys kind of screwed me at the end. So I think I could have overcome the lack of steals if I had stood out in every category. But you do have to have a lot of things go right if you're going to be terrible at now, steals. Now, here's the question. Malik Smith came on huge in the second half in stolen bases. What do you have, 23? Something like that? It was a big number. Yeah. Um, Jonathan VR had a very big second half in stolen bases. He was actually <laughs> fourth in the majors in steals. Yeah. Uh, guy who was what? Sent, was he sent down? He definitely wasn't playing every day for a while. No, he wasn't. Um, then he got traded. Adalberto Mondesi. Adalberto Mondesi, huge second half. And, and this is going to be the question. Can any of those guys turn that into a 60-steal season? Can Billy Hamilton go back I, to? I, I don't know why Billy Hamilton stopped running. 
He didn't get nearly yeah. as many plate appearances, I would assume, because he was batting ninth. Yeah, I mean, he had 556. I He went from 633 plate appearances last year and 59 steals to 556 and 34. His on-base percentage was the same. So it's actually, he just didn't run. And now, there's a lot of people who think in the industry, and it, the Adalberto Mondesi debate is going to be just so boring this off because <laughs> it's just it's all anyone's going to talk about the last week of the season the entire fantasy community was just ripping each other's heads off about Adalberto Mondesi and where are you guys on Mondesi there's not a chance I'm going to draft him in some of these like really really early mock drafts that I've seen I've seen you know going in the 50 to 70 overall range and I just I can't justify that for a guy that swings at every single pitch and had been like a 35 yeah. steel guy in the minors. If he's a 35 steel guy, he's probably useful, but he's not worth that. And yeah, the, that's the key thing. That's with interesting him, that you've seen him going that high, that high because I don't have I don't have anything against him, but that does seem more like higher than I'm able to justify because shortstop is is really deep right now. I have him, uh, and I you can find these rankings published on the site. I have him 12 at shortstop, which, you know, I I thought was a pretty generous ranking, given his history. Uh, and you look at some of the players I have ranked ahead of him. Like, who are you going to pass up for Adalberto Mondesi? So just ahead of him, I have Glaber Torres and Didi Gregorius. Maybe, maybe you could pass up those two. But then before that, Corey Seager, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, and and we're only up to seventh at and that, the position. And that, that feels point. like a pretty aggressive rank for Adalberto Mondesi based on yeah, half exactly. season. That was a huge outlier from where he'd been yeah. in his previous. Now, and the one thing I do want to point out is uh, there's a stat called stolen base opportunities or, or stolen base. I don't even know what you would call the stat. I don't think there's an official name, but there's stolen Let's bases it out. divided it right by stolen base opportunities. I feel like stolen base rate, but basically it's how often you run when you have an empty base ahead of you. The league average is 5.1%. Propensity to steal. PTS. That's a bad name for a stat, but we'll go with it. <laughs> PTS. PTS. The league average was 5.1%. Nobody runs. Um, among players with at least 50 stolen base opportunities this season, which is like, it's, it was like 380 players. Adalberto Mondesi led the league with 45.5%. Wow. That means basically yeah, half the time half he had... Time. Second place was Starling Marte at twenty seven point six percent. It's a really high PTS, Chris. That and it it's it's an unsustainable PTS. PTS, yeah. Uh, so that <laughs> what does it stand for? Propensity to steal. Propensity to steal. Yeah, Billy yeah. Hamilton's highest career rate was thirty six percent. The year Jonathan VR stole sixty bases, he was at twenty seven point seven percent. Nobody runs this often. Like Lou Brock did a couple times, and Ricky Henderson did like three times in his career. But basically. The rate at which Adalberto Mondesi ran, nobody yeah. does. And he well, and he needed that to be on like a sixty steal pace because he had like a two seventy on base percentage. I yeah, just go ahead, keep talking. I'm I, trying to think of a better anagram. I <laughs> I um, you know, I I don't want to frame it so that he needs to have the pace he was on in the second half to be good though. Yeah, because I mean that's fair. The thing that. The thing that distinguishes Mondesi from the other big base stealers is that it looks like, you know, based on 14 home runs and in, in less than 300 plate appearances, it looks like he's going to be a power hitter too. That's uh, what he profiled to be coming up to the minors, even though the stats didn't back it up. And, and certainly he performed like that during the second half too. He was just good all around. Now, plate discipline wasn't good. 
the BABIP was kind of high, mid 300s in the second half. So, you know, I I don't know that he's going to be a great hitter. But I, if he's a 20-40 steal shortstop, which, you know, is cutting down on that stolen base rate considerably, still going to be awfully valuable. So here, here, here I'm going to do – it's the last – it's the first podcast of the offseason. We can call it an encore. I'm going to play the hits. Adalberto Mondesi could be anything. Or Jonathan VR is Jonathan VR, but Adalberto Mondesi could be anything. He could even be Jonathan VR. It just feels a lot like the Jonathan VR 60 steal season, where every time we talked about him, it was like, eh, there's no way Jonathan VR can do that again. But even if he doesn't, he should still be pretty valuable. And then it turns out Jonathan well, VR was kind of bad. Well, I, but di- if they had different. committed to him to an everyday role, which they didn't, Yes. then he would have been a 40-steal guy, and he would have that, been valuable. That was one of the points I was going to make. Mondesi is a good defender and clearly one of their and, prime assets. And so that's all they, he's going to play. But if Jonathan VR goes into next season still on the Orioles, there's no reason to think he shouldn't play every day, too. And he's probably going to go 40 to 50 spots after Adalberto Mondesi. And it is entirely possible that the upside we saw from Adalberto Mondesi last year was real, and he can be a 30-homer, 60-steal guy. The more likely outcome is he just does what Jonathan VR is likely to do. And we've seen similar upside from him. So it just, for okay. me, Mondesi, it's not that I think he's going to be bad. It's yeah. that there's every single draft we do, there's going to be five or six people who like him five rounds more than I do. Yeah. Okay. No, that, like I said, I only have him 12th at shortstop. You're, the way you're talking about him, you're expecting him to go fifth or sixth at shortstop. And I think that would be. But you have him 12th in points or you have him 12th in Roto? I have him. 12th in points. I think you could make the case for him to be as high as 10th in Roto, okay, but I want to go 5th or 6th in yeah, Roto. Yeah, all right, because he's, I mean, points is going to be a lot different. Um, all right, so I've got a new name for the stat of what okay. we were talking about. I'm going to tell you about it after I tell you about SeatGeek, because getting tickets online can be really complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard, it's hard to know who to trust. I trust SeatGeek. And SeatGeek has guaranteed tickets. Every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Right now, I'm down in Florida for the football game this weekend, for the Miami game. And I already got my tickets. But I got the alerts on SeatGeek because I'm trying to get my friends tickets. And they are telling me, hey, ticket prices are going down. Check it out. And I am telling people, hey, you can use SeatGeek and the code FANTASY. For 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. So we're waiting for the ticket prices to go down a little bit more. But eventually my buddies are going to buy their tickets on SeatGeek. So I told them, listen, this site is great. I use it all the time. I use it for, I use it for these tickets. I use it for concerts, for comedy, for sports, but all this stuff. And if you use the code fantasy, you get 20 bucks off your first purchase. You can save even more money. SeatGeek is an outstanding app. People are really catching on. You should as well. Next time you need to go to an event, use SeatGeek and the code is fantasy for 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Go Knowles. It is the... It is the... I hate you. It is the likelihood of stealing stat. Okay. Or loss. Sure. Yes. We'll just call it loss. <laughs> I was trying to make it loser, but likelihood of stealing every... I could. I just couldn't get there. So likelihood of stealing stat. It's loss. Uh, 45% loss for uh, Adalberto Mondesi. Um... You know, here's what I learned about fantasy sports in general. More and more, so clear. It's about the players. Strategy all you want. It's about the players you pick. I had too much Chris that, Bryant. 
I had but too much Charlie Blackman. So, I had no Jose Ramirez. The thing, okay. I had no Mookie that Betts. Is, that is a good point. But that's not a strategy. Like, no, it's that's, not a that's strategy. Not, like, that's... You gotta get a little lucky. You gotta get a little uh, lucky. Yes, Let's absolutely. be honest. Yes, you yes. need to get the okay. guy who turns from a third rounder to a top three player. You need to turn. You need the guy who turns from a twentieth rounder into a fifth rounder. But it's still about minimizing risk. And it, but even the guys, yeah, that, even is, the guys yeah. that deserve to be no, second rounders, this is or actually, first rounders. There, you gotta get the guys term, who there play was like the it. There was a finish dis- first or fourth. Then it probably what com- comes down to what players you get. But if you have a sound strategy. It's hard to finish last in a league. I agree, you know? and I pretty much never have crappy and, teams. And there, there's there was a discussion for the Roto League this year on Twitter on, on fantasy football Twitter a couple days ago. People were like beating their chests about zero RB, or other people were beating their chest about zero wide receiver. And it's like, first of all, it's four games, so like let's calm down. Nothing's yeah. proven yet. Um, <laughs> you imagine in baseball after four <laughs> games. Well, that, but also like. The thing you have to keep in mind with any of these strategies, in football with zero RB, in baseball with zero pitcher, any of these strategies, spend 65% of your auction budget on hitters versus 80%. It's all about finding a 5% edge in your odds or minimizing the risk that your team falls apart by 5%. We can, like, we, we talk about these things as if they're much bigger deals than they are, but in reality, a lot of it is out of your hands. You can set yourself up for success and things can still go wrong. We are mostly, for the most part, talking about relatively minor shifts in odds based on a good strategy and a great strategy or a mediocre strategy and a good strategy. So you are right that it's about the players. You need good players. If you drafted Chris Bryant in the first round, you probably didn't do anything this Well, year. look, I drafted Trey Turner. To Scott's point, I drafted Trey Turner and Chris Bryant. In the points podcast points league, those were my first two picks, and got to the semifinals. Got a little lucky. I probably had a good points against, like a low points against, but I also managed to kind of, you know, scratch and claw a little bit. Yeah. Savvy waiver, savvy free agent moves, streaming two star pitchers. You can make up for it, but right, unless like if you drafted Jose Ramirez, I know he had a terrible September, but that was one of the best picks, even though it was a second round pick. You drafted Mookie Betts instead of Jose Altuve. That's how Francisco it goes. Francisco Lindor instead of Corey Seager. Yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, yeah, but you're right, Scott. I think that's well said because I I, I, sh- I should have really factored that in too. If you do have a good strategy, if you play the game the right way, you will avoid most likely you will avoid having a terrible team unless injuries just destroy you. Yeah, I don't I don't get too broken up about the fourth place finishes because that's that's margins, um, like Chris was saying. I don't think it means I necessarily need to change my approach. If I have a year where I'm finishing in the bottom half of half my leagues, now that that probably says something about the process that I want to look into more. Yeah, uh, I only had one bad team, and it was our Roto League. Finished 10th, and I had the second most pitching points. And so, And I had the fewest hitting points. Jeez. So <laughs> maybe I should have gone more hitter heavy there. Uh, maybe. Uh, also, nobody trades in that league, you know? Nobody ever trades in that, except well, this, for me. This is, this is a problem. Which I've, league? The, the, the Memorial this, League. This is a problem uh. I've run into in my, uh, in my home league. It's a bunch of friends from college, a couple of people who work uh, at CBS now, I think four of us now. Uh, and it's 14-team f- fantasy football league. I think we're in year eight. And we have reached the point where nobody trusts anyone in <laughs> trades. Because it's just like... 
well, 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 what are you trying to do to me? Right. And right. then that's that's something you you run into with a with a more with a more serious competitive league. Like th- there's no edge. You know that that's that's one thing. Is like there's so much information out there that yeah. a- assuming yeah, everyone is relatively invested. It's hard to have like a legitimate edge. <laughs> there's there are so few genuine sleepers at this point. The word itself, it, like everybody in the industry loved Blake Snell and everybody yeah. had him as a sleeper. Well, if everybody's talking about someone, but he he's was not really. But but he wasn't being drafted that. High. Yeah, His right. He was like 200. It's the same thing as Alex Bregman as a breakout. Like everybody had him as a break. And I, I guess you could be a consensus breakout more logically than a consensus sleeper. Just thinking about the definition of the word. All right, let's move on. Let's help the people a little bit. Let's talk about some stuff. Jack Flaherty finished with the fourth highest strikeout rate for a rookie in MLB history, with a minimum of 150 innings. Who are we taking first next year, Walker Bueller or Jack Flaherty? I would have said Flaherty uh, in like mid-August, but I think Bueller clearly surpassed him in the end. I, I'm not so sure heading into the playoffs, Bueller isn't actually the Dodgers' best pitcher well, he over started, Kershaw. He started their uh, most important game, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I, what, I was, what I was fearing would happen— Wait, am I crazy? Yeah, he started game 163. He yeah. started game 163, right. What, yeah. what I was fearing would happen is I looked at the success he was having early on and like, okay, he's doing this but with a low swinging strike rate. But what actually ended up normalizing was, the, or regressing, I guess, was the swinging strike rate itself. Yeah. He started getting tons of swinging strikes, and instead of having like a low three ZRA, he had a mid one ZRA down the stretch. Now I don't think he's actually a mid one ZRA pitcher. That's what? crazy. But <laughs> why do you hate Walker Bueller? I think, he's, I think there's ace potential here. If he has already exceeded last year's innings total by forty going into the playoffs. I'd feel even better about him as Ooh, it is. Yeah, it's a red flag. Still going to be in my top 25, probably. Red flag. All right, that's interesting. Okay, uh, more news. Uh, Nomar Mazzara will not undergo thumb surgery. Nomar Mazzara sprained his thumb in July, like right around the All Star break. Up until that point, he was batting 272 with 15 home runs in 91 games, only slugging 450, but solid. And then 37 games after coming back from the thumb injury, he batted 221 with five home runs. His ISO was pretty much the same. His home run rate was probably a little lower, but he hit more doubles. Can, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say something. Yeah, right. Just don't talk to me about talk, don't talk to me about don't talk to you about Nomar Mazar. Yeah, don't talk to me about Nomar Mazar until he starts hitting the ball in the air. Like I, I don't want to oversimplify it because there there are other places where this year, especially, he I wasn't made talking to you. Small just improvements. So you know. He he did increase his hard hit rate and he was a little better against lefties although that his plate discipline was still awful and it was mostly just that he hit seven home runs instead of two against them but it's Eric Cosmer all over again there is no denying the raw talent that Nomar Mazzara so what's the difference between that and Yelich Christian Yelich is a much better hitter like he just it's more Mazzara is like 23 right right and there is still room for him to improve but he has not shown the the really it's just the, quality of contact, right? It's the Yelich, quality of contact. Yelich always has a high BABIP. Yelich always has a high home run to fly ball rate. But I don't he, even like Nomar Mazzara, his batted ball data in terms of like the stack cast data or the hard hit rate, like it was fine. It was not elite, but it was good. 
For yeah. a guy who doesn't want me to talk to him about Nomar Mazzara, sure is a lot to well, say. Well, no, I'm <laughs> saying that this is the last time we're talking about Nomar Mazzara okay, until okay, he okay. starts hitting Ever the ball. again. Shohei Otani. Can I talk to you about Shohei Otani? Oh, very much. Tommy John surgery. He will play. He will hit next year. Uh, he's a very good hitter. <laughs> and he steals bases. You know, he had 10 steals, but I forgot to look this up. I think all of them came after he stopped pitching. So... He, he's really fast. Yeah, he can he can run, he can hit, but what he can't do is hit left-handed pitchers, at least not yet. He had a 654 OPS against lefties. Yikes. Mm. So, I don't know if he's going to be an everyday player, Scott. Otani. Yeah. Uh, it obviously the fact that he won't be pitching next year. <laughs> this is such a weird situation all the way around. So, uh, he's having Tommy John surgery. Uh, it will be if, even if you look at him from the standpoint of how quickly position players come back from Tommy John's surgery, it'll be a rush to have him ready for opening day. Obviously, he's not going to pitch at all next year because it takes pitchers at least twice as long as position players to recover from that injury uh, because he won't have to have those extra days of getting, to get ready for pitching to rest up for pitching. There's at least the opportunity for him to play every day, but you still think they're going to want some off days just to keep the elbow healthy. Uh, you still think they're probably going to bench him against some lefties. I don't see him being more than like a mid-round pick next year. I also I do need to point out uh, Jeff Zimmerman um, of Fangraphs. Yeah, that's where he's from. Uh, he has a list of 22 hitters who have had Tommy John surgery, and he looked at the average time to return. The minimum was 182 days, so six months, um, which would put him right around opening day because uh, he had Tommy John, what, five days ago, something like that? Mm -hmm. The average was 345 days for hitters. What? Not that. Wow. That's interesting. I don't believe now, it. Now, there, there are a few that were like something went wrong and they didn't return for two years, but, and it's yeah. just such a small number that a couple of real outliers, um, I think Labor Torres was back. I mean, his happened yeah, at a point where he was back quick. in the offseason, but, you know. Oh, that's. I would not, not expect him to be available for opening day, is what I would say. Okay, and Buster Posey is uh, going to catch next year, according to the Athletic, and <laughs> Kyunjin Ryu is starting game one instead of Clayton Kershaw. Uh, we'll read some emails in a moment. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. We're going to revisit our preseason predictions in a moment. Let's do the awards real quick. Who should win the awards? AL Cy Young. Scott. We're talking real life, right? IRL. Doing, like some kind of fantasy game. In real life. In real life. I'm going to say Justin Verlander passed Corey Kluber in the end. Oh, wow. Not, not uh, Snelly, huh? Well, I guess Snell's the other one. Yeah. Okay. You want to take another uh, gander at it? <laughs> I would vote for Justin Verlander. Snell probably is second, but I would vote Verlander because I value innings and durability. Sure. And, I mean, Verlander was awesome on top of it. Okay, Chris, AL Cy Young? I'm going with Snell. Okay, fair enough. Do I, should I give answers? Yes. You're right. on the podcast. Uh, I will go with Blake Snell. Um, the best opener in baseball. NL Cy Young. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom. Got to go DeGrom. Yep. Easy I one. wanted to go Scherzer, but I, you know, for most of the season, I was saying it'll be Scherzer, but I said that expecting DeGrom's ERA to normalize, and it never did. And also, he had a 199 FIP. 
Yeah. To go with his 170 ERA. Pretty good. That is wild stuff. Uh, all right, what do we got? We got AL MVP? Yeah, we'll do MVP now. Yeah. AL MVP. Give it to Mookie Betts. Like, it's a coin flip between him and Mike Trout, so fine. One guy made the playoffs, the other guy didn't. Whatever. Give it to the guy who made the playoffs if it's a coin flip. That's Betts. Yeah. Yeah. Betts. Uh, NL MVP. Jacob deGrom. <laughs> <laughs> I it's was going to go I, – I liked Baez until I think the last month what Yelich did and and got his team to win the division. You know, he like carried will them. Be Yelich. I, know, I understand we're not necessarily predicting. We're saying who we we think should win. But it, it will be Yelich, yes. and I think it should be Yelich. It will be Yelich. I, I think Jacob deGrom was the best player in the Didn't National win League. enough games. He did not win enough games. <laughs> Yelich uh, – He got over 500. At this down the stretch, Javi Baez would have been my pick at, at one point because I just I love the uh, the defensive versatility. Uh, it seemed like he came up with some big hits. I don't know if that's true or not, but it felt that way. I'm actually very happy Christian Yelich had such a good last month because I I love Javi Baez. I think he's super fun, but like just as a like a fan of the history of the game, he would have been a pretty crappy MVP <laughs> because of the OVP? just historic. No, just historically based on historical standards, like it would have been a historically weak on uh, MVP choice. And Yelich is not. Yelich had a he led the NL in OPS. He had a thousand OPS. All right, we'll save the uh, most controversial for last. Oh, this one might be tough actually. NL Rookie of the Year. It's Acuna. Yeah, it's not Soto. Soto. If I was picking. Like a fantasy rookie of the year, I would pick Soto because he was the impact player for longer. But Acuna's and he was last so much cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> Juan Soto like, you picked up on waivers. Acuna, yeah. you had to draft right. him in the fifth round. Right, that's true. That's I know. Nah, he too. was like a tenth round pick. I because I uh, got him. He was not there a fifth are, round pick. He, yeah, okay. Overall, was there are some ways Soto is better than Acuna. You know, even looking at the full season numbers, but like Acuna's August just. Moved him so far ahead, and the defense defensively, it's not even really a comparison. Who's better? All right, fine. Uh, AL Rookie of the Year, Shohei Otani. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it should not be a competition. I'm sorry. I like, knew it. I told you. Miguel Andujar had a nice year. You he had to say a, his name right. What you have to say his name properly. Isn't it Andujar? Andujar. Andujar. Um, oh, he, yeah. had a, he had a very Andujar. nice Chris Coglin esque rookie season. <laughs> I mean, he set the he set the he had the third most doubles ever by a rookie. I think what he slug like eight seventy or OPS like eight seventy. He had a great rookie year. Chris uh, Coglin, okay, Chris Coglin's rookie year. He had an eight fifty OPS. He hit three twenty one. Oh, so he had a great rookie Chris year. I just Coughlin forgot had, that. Chris, Co- but but that's the thing is that like he had a very good rookie year that we will probably not remember unless he turns into a. Shohei Otani did something that literally OPS. nobody has done. Did he do it enough, though? Yes. Okay, here's my thing. If it, Shohei Otani had had the exact same season as a hitter, and let's remember he was like the seventh best hitter in baseball on a per-plate appearance basis, and he had just thrown 50 innings as a reliever, didn't get hurt, just was a high-leverage reliever throughout the course of the season and had a 3 4 ERA or whatever it was, there is no question he would be the rookie of the year. But it how many plate appearances be... are you talking about? Because because Andujar had two hundred and forty more plate appearances than Shohei Otani. 
That that is well. Here here's is, another. That's important. That is that is that. Is I, the guy true. didn't even start against lefties. That like, is true. That, he's an every. He was an everyday player. That is true. His defense was so bad that I probably would would give it to Otani. But well, that, that's that's not. That's and Duhar's defense simple. was terrible. But also, Shohei Otani did face 211 batters. So it's not like you can just look at plate appearances. I, I know. I, I know. But even even if we were calling Otani's pitching what he did as a pitcher. Like that would that was just bonus points. We weren't we weren't giving it as much credit it deserves. Okay, he pitched some. We'll give him bonus points for that. If we're just comparing these two as hitters, Otani, who never even took the field, had a higher war yeah. than Miguel Andujar. Is that because Andujar was so bad yeah. at defense? Yeah, was, yeah, okay, yeah. but I'm sorry. See, been... that's that's where war doesn't factor because you're talking but, about but, an everyday oh, oh. player who's in the lineup every day and did field. Compared to a DH who sat against lefties, but if we're taking away the pitching stats, docked. then Andujar is the better. Thing is, Andujar he's docked was a, for def- like his, okay, but at least he tried. More, a DH's no, defensive war is negative too. This is this is millennial culture. No, I'm BS. sorry. I Get out of here with your participation trophy. The New York Yankees are the official team of participation trophies. I value an everyday player. That's the bottom line. Like I could never give it to a guy who sits against lefties and DHs. I mean. If he if, played third base, he'd be worse than Andujar. If we're keeping it 100. What? Miguel Andujar played in the field every inning. He only batted like once every third inning. He was worse for most of the game. Uh, Keep it 100. I think if it's you're Shohei not, Otani. So, Scott, you're going to go with Otani? Yeah, definitely. It, yeah. It's no contest. It's a contest. I'll go with Otani, but... Glaber Torres. I mean, he got, he got 1.2 war just as a pitcher. He was Otani wonderful, did. but did, did he have... Did he have as much of an impact as as Miguel Andujar did? I don't know that he did. Andujar played so much more. It depends what it depends how much you value war. I don't understand like to me uh, 2 years ago I guess it was when Michael Former beat out Gary Sanchez, that's the one the Yankees should have should have gotten upset about. Yankees fans should have got upset about, not this. Like Otani so- But this is history, th- but that man. was the whole, that was the same philosophy, right? It was probably like Sanchez didn't play it that much. Yeah, that he only played like two thirds of the season, maybe a little less. So, but he yeah. had a higher WAR than Michael Fulmer, and eh, was doing <laughs> a clear standout offensively at catcher. Uh, I don't know that we're gonna have time to revisit our preseason predictions. Should we, we, do well, we could do we could we do, do some, we can do some. Um, let's do the let's let's revisit our bold predictions at least for now, and we can look at like the sleepers and breakouts and stuff at a, another. The bold predictions podcast. are fun. I think I remember mine. I think they were all terrible. <laughs> uh, number one was Luis Severino will not be the best pitcher on the Yankees. <laughs> Wrong. Number two was Adam Eaton will be a top 20 or 15 outfielder. And I don't remember number three. Cody Allen saves 40 uh. games. <laughs> uh, didn't didn't cover yourself. I, you know I the feel funny like thing. You, the 40, funny you thing called is? me out for saying that wasn't bold. Yeah, that was 40 saves is pretty bold. I said I said your bold predictions weren't bold enough. And none of them came true. Yeah, but forty <laughs> saves really... is not that easy to get. I mean, is it? Is it? Severino, I guess, was the Yankees pitcher, but he wasn't as good as everybody thought he was going. He to was be. originally. So you, can, you get you get half credit for that. No, he is such a mystery. I don't like last. Okay, he pitched last night. He threw four no hit innings. Walked four. Or was it five no hit innings? I think it was four. Was it okay? Four no hit innings. With seven strikeouts. Then he came back out and gave up two hits and they lifted him and Batanzas got him out of the jam. He is throwing so many pitches. He's extremely inefficient. He can't just, 
Like he strikes guys out, but he can't just fastball, fastball, slider, you're gone. Something He's not went, his slider, yeah. Something went wrong with his slider in the second Completely. half. And there there's there was I think Eno Saris did a breakdown yeah, of it. He, it wasn't it wasn't. When I said it, Chris didn't believe me. When no, it was Mike Petriello, I think, on uh on MLB.com. In my defense, mm-hmm. you say a lot of things <laughs> You you so many words. Am I, right. am I to believe them all? Let's talk about uh, No Bar Bizarra. Uh, what were Scott's bowl predictions? Um, you nailed one, Scott. This was a good oh, yeah. one because he was. This was a very popular guy. Domingo Santana did not get to even four hundred at bats. He got to two hundred and ten, I think. Yay for me! The other two uh, were also published online. The Diamondbacks have three of the top five Cy Young finishers. <laughs> you didn't mention their best pitcher. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Well, look, they may have two, right? They, they might may have, have Granky and Corbin. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't counting on Corbin. I yeah. was thinking Granky, Godley, and Ray. Yeah. Uh, but Granky and Corbin might, might be in the top five. I think at least Corbin will be. That's funny. And then David Dahl's a 2020 player. Hmm? They got they got half of them. Did he hit 20 homers? No. Oh, he didn't? 16. Okay. But next year, I, I'm pleased. I'm pleased by the spirit of my predictions, even though only one of them came true. Uh, yours were. Let's. We don't want to be mean. So, but yours were better than Heath's. Oh, what were Heath's? <laughs> Jose Quintana wins 20 games. He did not win. Uh, no one on the Diamondbacks hits more than 25 home runs. Two guys did. <sighs> Who? Uh, David Peralta and and uh, what's his name? Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, David Peralta had a monster season. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting guy in terms of how he's valued next year because. And. Yeah, what was the last one? Ian Happ finishes a top three second baseman. He was, I will say, a top three second baseman <laughs> on the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> and I feel oh okay gosh. about making that joke because I made it to Heath earlier today. Uh, what were yours? Tyler Glass now is a top 20 starting pitcher from the moment he joins the rotation. He wasn't, but he was good. He was, yeah, once he got to the Rays rotation. Uh, Joey Gallo hits more homers than Aaron Judge. Nailed it. Nice. Yep. 100% true. Yep. Also, How many did I Judge do, finish with? Uh, I do not have to sing on yes, the podcast. Yes, you pushed, I pushed on the petty bet. Um, wow. And the Marlins won't have a single pitcher with 100-plus strikeouts. Eat this, haters. They had three. Ah. I believe one guy had like 130, so... Suck it, hater. Trevor Richards. I gotta start looking at some final, some final. Aaron Judge only had twenty-seven home runs. Pretty good year for Aaron Judge, though. Yeah. Two seventy-eight, three ninety-two, five twenty-eight. And I bet those numbers were a lot better before he got hurt because he was pretty bad after he came back from the injury. Predictably so. It it a was. Bit. It was nice to see him homer yesterday. Even though he missed me. much of the second half with that chip fracture, like I I think the season was a. A huge success for Aaron Judge. I thought he was going to be a bust, Scott, so well, I agree. I, yeah, I mean, I had him on my final edition, the final edition of my bust, too, just because there seemed like there was, for the going rate, there was so much downside that wasn't being factored in. But he he uh, backed it up. He had a he, he showed that that 2017 near MVP season was more or less legit. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a 947 OPS when he got hurt, which was 100 points lower. And I, I think that's... He wasn't going to be the best hitter in baseball, yeah. or one of the, but he but clearly he was the second round hitter. He's not bad. Yeah, he's a good player. For there sure. was some potential that he would come out and like just be Chris Davis. That's, yeah. That was my fear. 
Yeah, I thought he could hit like 240, and I was pleased with Judge. All right, let's finish with some emails real quick. We actually have to get out of here. There's another podcast coming in. From Rob, is the Vlad Jr. hype real? This is another player there's just not a chance I'm going to draft. There, <laughs> People like him too much. I, I think he's awesome. It, obviously, he had 400. I'm pretty excited about him. Uh, I think he will be great, but people are going to be drafting him in the third or fourth round, and there's just no way. I no way. Do. Yes, yes. There are drafts no going. No way. I, I there are drafts going on right now with industry people, and I'm not I'm not criticizing anyone who does that. I totally get it. He could be, he's not going to be Ronald Acuna because the skill set's not the same, but he could be Juan Soto, and that could be worth. But he's never done it. I can't I just, take a player who's never hit in the majors before like the eighth round at the earliest. I'd that, say. And and but you're going to keep this is this guy is a dynasty league where he keeps seven players. I think Vlad could. Right, he he is in the discussion with Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto for the best under twenty two players in baseball. Like that. So now we gotta Vlad, go faster. Like, but this, go ahead, Scott, these wrap, are the Vladimir Guerrero's stats might be. I can't. I can't recall a m- another minor league hitter whose stats were more exciting or were uh, seemingly foolproof like Vladimir Guerrero's yeah. are. Yeah, you look at third base. Like, which of these third basemen are you taking behind? Which of these are you taking Guerrero over? Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, Javier Baez. Matt Carpenter, Anthony Rendon, Chris Bryant, Eugenio Suarez. I mean, how? Where does he deserve to go among that group? I, I mean, because I, I think I think the very after, end, after which makes got, only nine. Once I, you got to Javier Baez, yeah, I started thinking yeah, like, oh, maybe here, especially in a points okay. league for yeah. Baez. Yeah, but not necessarily. Maybe, but no, the, the can, question is more long term. It's it's a dynasty league for Rob, and you know, if you're keeping seven players in a keeper league, it's one thing. In a dynasty league, you know, you can keep these guys forever. I think there's a good chance that you're keeping Vlad Jr. As a hitter, he is he's not quite the overall prospect Ronald Acuna was because he's not going to play center field and not going to play it well and not going to steal bases. But as a hitter, he is as good a prospect as anyone that's come along in whatever number of years you want to put on that. And final question, uh, Alex in the Great White North, where do you rank Max Muncie next season? I don't have to do rankings, thankfully. <laughs> But he's got it's difficult to rank him because we don't know what role he's going to fill he should absolutely be an everyday player but he should have been for all of this season too and wasn't machado's leaving presumably dozier's leaving presumably so that should open the door for him to play every day again but since i'm not sure i have him 12th at first base uh behind good. joey gallo and jerks and profar i think he has the potential to rank as high as seventh or eighth he did yep. not, I don't think, have a month under 800 OPS, which is wild considering how bad he was after the All-Star break initially. Guys, we are done. This was fun. I enjoyed it. We made up a new stat called Loss, <laughs> and uh, it's wonderful. Um, so if you got nothing out of the show other than that, take the loss. For Heath and Scott. Nope, for Chris and Scott. Sorry about that. <laughs> really? That was that was legit. For Scott and Chris, I'm Adam. I didn't make such a Talk to you next week. See you later.